Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help leaders identify disruptive trends and envision the opportunities these trends create. We help them elevate the quality of their leadership and transform their organizations to build sustainable success and impact. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. And I am also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted to bring to you recorded live at the International Leadership Association Conference 2019 in Ottawa, Canada, whose theme is Courage to Lead, a series of interviews. Next, you'll hear Cynthia Cherry, the president of ILA, to introduce the conference and and then I'll be back to introduce our guests. International instability is only getting worse in today's world, and it cries out for a need for leadership. Hi there, this is Cynthia Cherry, President and CEO of the International Leadership Association. And the ILA has its mission to advance leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. At this year's global conference in Ottawa, our theme was Leadership, Courage Required. And it was a gathering of 1,200 professionals from around the world to discuss, share, and explore the latest research, teachings, and best practices in leadership. In this series, ILA fellow Maureen Metcalf is the host of the 2019 series. And you will hear from corporate leaders, political leaders, and the leading scholars and teachers grappling with the complex issues of today. I hope you will join me in exploring these complex issues in the 2019 series. So with me on the show right now is Chris Henderson. Chris is a Canadian eco-entrepreneur, community leader, and environmental innovator. For the past 35 years, he's led and been at the forefront of groundbreaking Canadian enterprises and local and national business, social and ecological initiatives which have global impact and resonance. Chris is a trusted and insightful commentator on economic, environment, and energy issues that respect the planet and generate enduring outcomes for corporations, communities, and for Canada. Chris's prime current role is advising and equipping indigenous peoples and communities to develop and own clean energy projects to catalyze social development, economic opportunity, and to combat climate change. His first book, Aboriginal Power, was published in 2013. Chris is the president of Luminos Energy, executive director of the Indigenous Clean Energy Social Enterprise. He's the founder of the Delphi Group and the board chair of the Globe Series. 
So in this session, we're going to talk about an equitable, abundant, and powerful clean energy future and how that will be grounded on principles of decarbonization, digitalization, decentralization, and democratization. So Chris is Canada's foremost advisor to Indigenous communities and will share how First Nation, Meredith, and Inuit communities across Canada are leading and participating in an emerging clean energy economy. He shall delve into an array of social, environmental, and economic impacts of this broad movement, which has global relevance and significance. So Chris, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Good to be with you, Maureen. So can you share the big picture of how indigenous communities in Canada have become big clean energy players? You know, it, it's taken uh, two or three decades, but it's really been the last 10 years that things have taken off. We're in a First Nations, Métis, and Inuit communities in Canada have become co-owners and leaders of clean energy projects and enterprises. And, and it's happened because of a few reasons. The first is that there's been a constitutional challenges and court cases that have said that if you're going to be using land and water to generate energy, mm -hmm. that uh, indigenous people who walked on those lands and paddled those waters first should also uh, have a say in that. And in fact, should have a say to the point that it benefits them. Secondly, as in Canada, as the process has been moving to move away from fossil fuels, from coal and oil and gas, towards cleaner forms of electricity, is governments have said there's value in, in local communities and indigenous communities owning some of those assets mm -hmm. or being part of the process. And thirdly, uh, indigenous communities actually have a real affinity for renewable resources because they come from Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. And so they said, look, this is going to be a movement. We want to be a part of that. So those three things, one is challenges in our constitution that largely have affirmed indigenous rights. Uh, secondly, is that government policy has said that this is the right way to go. And latterly, indigenous peoples themselves who have said, this is the kind of economy we want to be involved with. And that's led to one out of every six electrons or power that we generate in Canada is owned, co-owned, or has a defined financial agreement with an indigenous community. And so for our listeners who especially aren't from Canada, why does that matter? Well, I think it matters because of justice. Okay. Energy has been a real colonial enterprise. It's been mm -hmm. contr and controlled by governments who made decisions. It's uh, been, been owned by corporations who uh, derive the financial benefit from yeah. that. And I think in a, in a world where energy is changing with technology and we're recognizing that the communities are more and more important, uh, if indigenous communities are part of that change process, as well as local communities, I, I think it's just fair. Okay. Well, and, and Canada, I think, is more focused right now on the fairness and equity with indigenous populations than some other countries are. To some extent, but I think this is a global movement. It's relevant to the United States, it's relevant to the Americas and Africa and Asia, uh, even in Europe. I think in the Canadian context, what's different is that our constitutional makeup has driven this in part, as I mentioned, uh, and that's a bit different than other jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. um, in, in addition, our, the indigenous rights in Canada are more defined and, and recognized. And so therefore now, if you want to go and develop a solar project or a wind project on traditional indigenous land, and all of Canada is traditional indigenous land, you really can't do that without consulting with those communities and accommodating mm -hmm. their interests. Okay. And that does seem like equity, but it also seems like creating economic opportunity for everyone. 
Yeah, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, I mean, the energy energy system of the world is changing, and you know now you can put solar panels on your roof. Now you may have an electric car that, in fact, can be your battery for your home, and so therefore, uh, with, with, that creates opportunity of a different kind. It used to be large coal plants or gas plants was mm-hmm. what was powering our cities and our communities. Well, now it could be your home or your car, and so therefore, uh, and it could be a small solar array in your community or in your rural area or in the middle of your city. And so therefore, with that change, you have both economic benefits and social benefits that arise. So can you put some bones on Mm. this movement with a couple of indigenous clean energy stories or examples? Sure, yeah, I'd be pleased to. You know, I'll just talk about where I've been the last week, which might kind of illustrate that. Late last week, I was was on the east coast of Canada, Nova Scotia, and I came back through part of Quebec called Gaspé, which is near the St. Lawrence. And there, the community, in the Mi'kmaq communities, or Mi'kmaq communities, they have developed a 150-megawatt wind farm along with a private partner that they own 50% of. And now, 150 megawatts is a lot of wind farm. It's, it's like 100 turbines that are three or four megawatts each, each of which are about the size of a mid-sized apartment building. Uh, and they, they generate the financial benefit from that. They also mm-hmm. created, there were over 100 jobs there that they gained from that. It also helped uh, develop more clean energy that, frankly, is being transmitted in part to the United States, to Maine and Vermont, New Hampshire and Connecticut and Massachusetts. And so, um, so that's an example of a large project that a community can get involved with that has huge economic benefits. Uh, earlier this week, I was actually in Northern Ontario, um, north of the Great Lakes, is a large lake called Lake Nipigon. Uh, and, um, and beside that lake, which is it's a remote community, so you, there's no transmission lines there. It's off the grid. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, they rely on diesel power for their power. And that community, which is called Gull Bay, so Gull Bay First Nation has just finished constructing with a partner uh, a solar array that will reduce their reliance on diesel by around 30 35%. Uh, they've already saved 20,000 liters of diesel fuel in the last three months. They'll save about 120,000 liters a year. So those are the kind of projects that we're talking about, things that are are part of the energy transition, part of the clean future that's healthier, that's cleaner, that also helps us deal with climate change. So this morning we heard a conversation in the plenary session about the difference between indigenous populations' view of humans as part of nature versus some other traditions that would say we have dominion over the earth. And that distinction seems really foundational to what you're talking about. Wow, you know, that's, that's, that's a really great comment. Um, I mean, we view that as an indigenous worldview on this, that mm-hmm. very much is to that point. And that is why, you know, when you embrace nature and you do, you develop clean energy projects that are not only renewable, so they're mm-hmm. not depleting nature, but they're also maybe even restorative. So they mm-hmm. actually uh, do things that are healthier for the land. You know, the Dokies First Nation, which is up near Sudbury, Ontario, so northern Ontario, there were dams built in that community by the government 100 years ago. About 10 years ago, they, d- they built a small hydro project beside one of those dams. But they didn't just do the hydro project. They also protected the riparian zones of turtles. Okay. They also rebuilt the spawning zones for walleye habitat. They protected the medicines. And in fact, they've, they've done some amazing things where the community has made sure that nature is in fact protected as well as developing clean energy. So that's the indigenous worldview. And I think actually, not just indigenous, I think a lot of people will go with mm-hmm. that. Uh-huh. But I think the advantage of that indigenous worldview, I think it builds a healthier economy. Uh, one that really also protects nature. So you're, you're making the case that, that I hear the, the opposing view on occasion, that you can't be environmentally friendly and also business friendly. 
it sounds like you're absolutely being both environmentally supportive and implementing good business practices. You know, if you actually think that you, can, you, you can't be environmentally friendly while benefiting the economy, I think that's both misinformed and incorrect. I mean, the reality is that that's where we want to go. That's where I think our children and grandchildren want us to go. And in fact, if you do that, you also have a whole series of economic effects that are much more substantive than one thinks. If, in fact, you make sure that you're reliant on clean energy versus coal, well, then you're improving air quality. And if you have bad air quality, people get cancers. People die from it. Uh, And that costs money, by the way, a lot of money. I saw a study just yesterday about how many babies had died in the last month in the U.S based on poor air quality. It's astronomical. And so therefore, to me, the, the, to say that you, you, you can't be both environmentally friendly and economically friendly is, is just wrong. And in fact, that's where we have to go. And I would add also you need to be socially friendly in the sense that the more that this is about people rather than um, the... I'm a big believer in the capitalist system. I don't mm-hmm. want people to get this wrong. But, but to, we have to make sure that we're all buying into this. So I love the idea where local individuals can invest in a cooperative that's doing solar panels on the roofs of churches or schools in their cities and towns. These are the involvements where people are directly involved. So socially friendly, environmentally friendly, uh, and environmentally friendly and ecologically friendly is absolutely where we need to go. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that illustration because I think there's a lot of misinformation about the ability to be good for the earth, good for the community, and good for business. Yeah, and, and let's not forget, Maureen, we've got this big, you know, scary thing ahead of us called climate change. You know, the reality is, and, you know, I know some people may, may have the view that it's not caused by humans, but the, the science is categorical. The evidence is categorical, and it's getting more and more definitive that, in fact, the world is warming at, at a rate that is caused by human uh, activity, principally from the use of fossil fuels, hydrocarbons, oil, gas, and coal. And we got to get off it. And so this is the one where we all share a benefit. So even though a local indigenous community may do a solar project or partner with a large wind project mm-hmm. with, a, with, a, with a private company, what they're also doing is helping us make sure we reduce greenhouse gases. And uh, boy, that's something we all benefit from. You know, it's interesting that it is our young people who are now protesting and saying we don't want to inherit the dysfunctions and the injuries you've created to our environment. And you as adults need to get it fixed. Well, I think maybe we've got to listen to them more, you know? I mean, I think they're right. Uh, but they're also saying that, that they're really... I mean, I love the climate strike movement because it amplifies that we've got to listen to our children. And we've got to listen to the grandchildren we have are the ones yet to be born. And so um, they're right. Um, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, we don't want to leave debt to our children. You know, we want, we want to give them a bit of a legacy in terms of our own family homes and stuff like that. But what if that legacy all goes down the tubes if we have earth that we just can't live healthily on? I see pictures in China of protesters who are wearing masks, not because they, who knows what their motive is, but part of it is clean air. Hey, you don't have to go to protesters. Just go to cities like Beijing or Bombay in India or Mumbai now, um, and you'll see them uh, by the hundreds of thousands in the day street. They're not protesting, or maybe they are protesting. They're protesting because they can't breathe clean air. Uh, there's a way around this. I mean, in, in mm-hmm. cities, it could be from vehicles. Well, vehicles can now be electric vehicles. I mean, and by the way, I bought an electric car about six months ago. Uh, I've driven it about 15,000 miles. I've only filled it six times. 
times because it's a, it's a comedy in gas mm-hmm. and electric car because most of the time I'm just running on clean electricity. So I think, I think you know, the, to me, the, the interconnection between health and economy is essential. And uh, I think our kids are right on. And, you know, we only have so much time. We got we to gotta move faster. Well, and, and I think you just hit on something that is also foundational, is we don't build into the cost of our equations often the cost of health. Yeah. The cost of health care, the cost of ill health when we've created pollution that's impacting people's ability to breathe and all of the illness that comes with that. You know, you're right, and it costs us all. I'll give you a story. You know, uh, on the shores of Labrador, which is in the north part of uh, Canada, the northeast coast, Inuit communities are up there, and they, they also are diesel communities that are not connected to the provincial power grid. A few years ago, I was saying to them, well, what do you use for heat? And they said, well, you know, we use some diesel fuel for heating, and we use wood stoves. And I said, well, what kind of wood stoves do you use? And they sent me pictures, and I realized they were really poor wood stoves that were inexpensive because they didn't have much money. But they also emitted a lot of bad indoor air pollution as well as outdoor mm. air pollution. So we've helped replace those with better wood stoves. Uh, what the, it did a couple of things. One, it made sure they were using less wood, so it was cheaper for them, which put money in their pockets. But it also improved indoor air quality hugely so that particulate matter and ash that you breathe if you have a bad wood stove, mm-hmm. uh, you don't have the same effect. So what we found is that when we did that, is that people had lower cancers, lower respiratory illnesses. So it's a great human benefit, but that healthcare cost in our country where we have a Medicare, you know, a, a, a universal Medicare system, so sort of like Bernie Sanders' health for all, um, <laughs> you know, uh, it meant that it's less cost to the healthcare system. So that benefit taxpayers. And, you know, so you assume that if it benefits just you because you get better health because you're using cleaner fuels, well, no, it's benefiting the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And I think that distinction helps us move policy through the system faster. Well, you know, yeah, but let's be, let's, let's call, let's not call a spade an agricultural implement, let's call mm-hmm. it a spade. There's a lot of problems here in the policy environment. I mean, we're in straitjackets. Uh, I mean, we're in straitjackets for the economic system we built of the 20th century or maybe even the 19th century, but we're now in the 21st century and we're almost 20 years in. And reality is that we've just said, oh, no, no, we need to have reliable power and cheap power, so we need the coal plants or we need the gas plants, and we need internal combustion engines of cars rather than electric vehicles. Uh, Look, uh, if we're going to make changes, it's imperative that public officials take responsibility and accountability for change and realize that we can't do same old, same old, same old, same old, get you the same old consequences of negative that we have. So if we want cleaner energy, we want healthier energy, and we want a better economy, uh, we got to go to where we're going. I mean, in Canada, we were big hockey players, right? And, uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky played for the Los Angeles Kings, one of our, you know, the most notable hockey player in the world. And he also said, uh, you know, they asked him one day, why, why are you good at it? He says, I, you got to go where the puck's going. So I have a line. It's a bit of a joke. Mm-hmm. It says, well, where the puck are we going? And, um, and so we got to go where we want to go, not where we are. And I think the, there are internal obstacles to change that are in governments, in, t- in terms of inter- corporations and the rules we set. We got to change the rules. Thank you. And, and it's an inspirational message because, again, for anyone who has children and grandchildren who wants them to enter adulthood healthy, and inheriting a planet that is inhabitable long term, we have to get this right. 
Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I think the good news is that a lot of people are getting it right. I think we just got to move faster. And you know, people often say to me, saying, "Well, you know, oh, Chris, you know, I mean, that solar power or wind power is going to cost more than what we got now." Mm-hmm. Well, that's actually a bunch of hooey. I mean, right now, I mean, we can with solar and wind, we can be cheaper than any other form of energy. Coal, gas, we clean the crock out of it. Uh, the problem is that we've got a lot of coal and gas built in the system now that that mm-hmm. is an asset that you know, frankly, has to be wound down faster than it would normally be. But the reality is that the obstacle of being worried about the price of energy today. Uh, or the fact of what we built already, uh, we're just we're not only putting our uh, keeping ourselves in a straitjacket. We're putting a straitjacket on top of a straitjacket. You can't move, um, and so I mean, we just got to run faster. Well, I'm really inspired by the fact that there's a solution. Right, mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. idea that it's yeah. going to be too expensive and and it's a tax on the economically disadvantaged and all of those things. That if that's not true, then we have options different than it's all nice but we'll never get there. Yeah, and, and Maureen, some of this is really low tech, right? You know, we've talked about wind and solar, but you know, people are concerned about household budgets and family mm-hmm. costs. Uh, so you pay costs for your electricity, you pay costs to heat or cool your home. Well, what if you can change that cost? What in fact, I mean, I mean energy efficiency is one of the biggest investments you can make, best returns mm-hmm. uh, in terms of your family's budget and in terms of the economy and on the savings you generate. And so, therefore, we can we can do a lot very quickly, very quickly. You can make investments in your home. You can put a dollar in, and basically, you're getting back seven dollars in about eight years if you do the right things to make your home more energy efficient. And that helps you. So let's go there. I mean, in in, in a couple of weeks' time, with Indigenous Clean Energy, and people can see that at our at our at our website at indigenouscleanenergy.com. We'll be launching an initiative in Canada so that. Indigenous communities who want to make their homes more energy efficient and reduce costs can do that through an initiative we're calling Bringing It Home. So some of this is low-tech stuff. It's not fancy. So what, what are a couple examples of something that people around the world could consider? You know, we all know what a fridge, fridge is. So, mm-hmm. But if I ask you why a fridge is cold, people will go, well, I don't really know. There's a motor in there that cools Oh, that's a compressor. What it is, okay. it takes the air in your home into the compressor. It kicks out the warm air. It keeps the cold air in. Okay. So just do that in reverse. So actually what you can do is you can do a heat pump that you can put in the wall in your home. It's a bit expensive. It costs about three or $4,000. It takes an air from the outside. It kicks out in the wintertime. It kicks mm-hmm. out the cold air. It keeps, brings the warm air in. If you're in most cases in, in southern Ontario or southern Canada, the U.S., with that, you don't need uh, a heater in the winter. And in fact, you probably don't need an air conditioner in the summer. Um, and so therefore, it, it has a little bit of use of electricity, but you're not using fuel as well. And so that's a simple thing that costs a bit of money, but boy, and now the air in your home is way cleaner. So th- there are simple solutions like that, and people are just not aware of them in part uh, out mm-hmm. there. But boy, you can you can make a real benefit your, with your home. And at the end of the day, you could put in better windows. You could you could use the electric thermostat. There's all kinds of things that the average person can do, the average homeowner can do, and even if you're a renter, you can do that. And many of those are affordable. New yep. windows are, are a bit tougher, but certainly the electric thermostat's easier. Yeah, electric thermostat's 100 200 bucks. I mean, new windows maybe cost you four or $5,000 or more, depending on the size of your home. Uh, but you know what? There's also mechanisms now that local communities in Vermont or New Hampshire that I'm aware of, and I'm sure elsewhere in the United States, and I know some parts of Canada, where the utilities will say, you know what? 
Uh, if you do those things, we'll pay for them. Mm -hmm. You keep paying your bill, your electricity bill, as if that you didn't put them in place. As you pay for the cost of that heat pump, mm -hmm. your electricity bills now go down. It's called on-bill financing. So therefore, even though it's a cost, there are utilities and, and, and municipalities and cities that have introduced this. I'm not sure why every city and municipality shouldn't have an uh, initiative like that. Yeah, I live in Columbus, Ohio, and our energy company did pay to have someone come out and assess my house. And right. I think there was a cost sharing, but it was minor. Right. And so I had the blower door test or whatever it's called, and then paid to have the the place sealed. Right. And, right. and I live in a house built in the 20s, so it's, it's still not perfect. Yeah. But it's significantly better than it was. You know, and, and it doesn't matter what your political views are. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter what your what your take on life is. If you happen to be a Republican or a Democrat, or in Canada you happen to be a liberal or a conservative, it doesn't matter. This is about you know dealing with waste. So why? I mean, we don't we don't like littering. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't like saying, "Well, I'm going to waste food in my fridge." We're all a bit more sensitive to that. That just costs you money, hurts the environment. Well, why are we wasting energy? Uh, so energy efficiency and conservation is, is frankly, uh, a way where I think there can be a commonality in all our interests. I love the idea of addressing this through the lens of just being a, a good steward mm. of resources, yeah. yours and mine. Yes. So we will be right back. This is Chris Henderson and Maureen Metcalf, and we are talking about indigenous use of clean energy and also for all of us how do we act in a way that is more responsible for the earth's resources to leave our children and grandchildren an environment that where they can thrive healthily so as we go on break i encourage you to think about what are you doing that you could do slightly more efficiently it would be great if we could all make the the leap to being significantly more efficient for many of us, there are things within our grasp that are small, but can have a significant impact. And to Chris's point, maybe a very moderate cost and moderate effort for us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. So welcome back to Chris Henderson and Maureen Metcalf. And we are talking about the energy imperative we are currently facing, indigenous clean energy leadership, and also just human good energy leadership. So Chris, during break, we were talking about what do you want to make sure that our global audience hears during this show? Why do you do this? What do you want to make sure we know? Well, a couple of things, Maureen. First of all, that uh, we recognize energy transition, moving away from fossil fuels to cleaner energy, renewable energy sources, and efficient energy use is something that's relevant across the world, be it in the UN, Canada, the United States, and Africa, and Asia. Uh, and I think we need to learn more from each other. Uh, you know, there's a wonderful organization called M-PESA in Kenya, where a person who lives in the slum in downtown Nairobi can get a solar panel they can use for their phone and charging, and they, begin, they get paid back over the course of a year or two while they use it to, for their purposes. Well, we need to hear stories like that that can help people in other countries. And so therefore, I think it's really, really important for us to share stories and learn from each other, and why I love being here with you. Thank you. Well, so let's take that back then to learning more from what you're doing mm-hmm. in the indigenous communities. Can you explain why the Canadian indigenous communities have embraced participation in clean energy projects and initiatives? Uh, well, well, first of all, I mean, indigenous communities um, uh, see what's happening and they say, well, geez, you know, if you're going to be doing solar energy or wind power, um, and you're going to develop that, and it's going to be using land that we have been on for 15, 20,000 years. Hey, can we get a stake in that? We want to be investors. We want to be co-owners because we want to have that economic benefit from it. So they want to get their dividends. Secondly, is they say, we like that better than, in fact, the kind of stuff that we used to rely on, which was dirtier. And they see jobs, you know, mm-hmm. they, they see jobs out there. And so, so it's not been a very hard uh, transition for, uh, for indigenous communities in Canada to say, clean energy, that's going to be a big part of our future. So then in the spirit of learning from their successes, there were things then that the U.S. and Asia and Latin America and Africa and other countries can do. Are there a few things that you would point to that, again, inspire people to learn from what indigenous communities are doing so we all accelerate uh, moving in this direction? Uh, for sure. Um, one thing is important that we have to be, I mean, we look at, I mean, most people know with energy, they go, the only thing they know is that when I turn on a switch, the light comes on. That's mm-hmm. it. Well, the reality is that, I mean, you need to have understanding about why we need energy, why we use it, where it comes from, and what the consequences or benefits or costs of that are. 
And so indigenous communities are following doing community energy planning, where they say to their community, where do we get our energy from? Why do we need it? How much does it cost? What's the consequences? And what we, could we do differently? So I think whether you happen to be in Columbus, Ohio, where you live, or Ottawa, Ontario, where I live, or someone who lives in Europe, or someone who lives in Nairobi, they can be involved with a, with a community process, local processes, mm-hmm. uh, done at town halls, where they're understanding, and, and with school children, and learning about where energy is relevant to them. The second thing that I would say is that energy is changing such that an individual can have a say in it. If I can have my hybrid electric car with a battery uh, plugged into my home and when uh, I can use some of that when I once I've charged it up for other things I need, that benefits me. So look at yourself being an energy prosumer. So you're a producer and a consumer. And so those are two things I think we can learn from indigenous communities. They're saying, one, let's learn about what energy means to us, and let's be both a producer of energy and a consumer of energy, a prosumer, because then we're getting the benefits of the needs that we have. And so technology is moving fast enough, isn't it, that many of us can, even Columbus, Ohio is not known for its number of sunny days, but I'm assuming places that other than Southern California can, can produce enough of their own energy to make this worthwhile. Uh, it might surprise you uh, how, much, how much solar power you can generate in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I can, I'm pretty confident I can say to you today that if I put up a solar plant in, in Columbus, Ohio, I will, do, I will sell you power more cheaply than you can buy from any other source of energy in Columbus. Uh, so uh, it, the solar radiation is pretty strong around the world. Unless, unless you happen to be in a tropical rainforest, you're going to do pretty well. Uh, so the reality is that around the world we can make these changes. But the key thing here is that get involved. Like if you're, if you're saying, hey, I want to be part of the solution to climate change or I want a cleaner environment, well, how about you get an economic win out of that? I love the idea that you're giving people, normal people who aren't running for politics, who don't see a way to make an impact that each of us can either get involved in our own community planning. I don't have to be on the planning commission. I can be a, a consumer or a prosumer by the choices I'm making. Yeah, but you also need help with that. Uh, okay. you know, so, so in Canada, for example, in, this, in the province state of Ontario where I am, uh, you can put solar power on your roof and you sign a contract with the local utility. They have to take that power. That's the law. Now, you can't put tons of power on your roof, but I can put a dozen panels on my roof and I can mm-hmm. generate solar. I can, I can take the cost of that and I recoup that from, from a payment I receive when they take that power from me. Mm-hmm. But so the rules have to change to do that. So you can be involved with things like this, but you also need the, the system of energy to change to allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. That's possible, for example, in California. You can do that now. In California, mm-hmm. you can put solar on your rooftop. In fact, it's the law in California, as of this week, by the way, oh, that really? any new home in California has to be built with solar power on the roof. It's now the law. Wow, and since this isn't airing right as we record it, then that's in October of 2019. Correct, that's right. Yeah, so, so, so therefore, you, it, 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 what's happened is technology like solar power, digital technologies will allow solar power to be controlled and metered and sold mm-hmm. to the utility and brought back. Digital technologies that connect that to your car, they've all changed, but you also need energy systems to be democratized to allow people to exercise their own power and control over their lives so they can get benefit from them. But if the local utility says, well, you can put solar power on your roof, and if you don't need it, we're not going to buy it, well, then you don't have an economic business case. Mm-hmm. So you've got to have a number of things changing at the same time. And if enough power is produced in California that there's excess, 
they wheel that into Nevada or For Arizona sure. or Absolutely. it doesn't just go away. It, it doesn't just go away. And that's what Indigenous communities are saying in Canada, saying, look, we want the ability to have those rules changed. And we've gone a long distance with that, more to go. But there's a lot of opportunities to do that. But sometimes people say, no, 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 we don't want to make the change too fast. You know, we can't put solar power in this system here. Uh, people are pushing on that. I, I, I don't want to say this is all, you know, blue sky. There's, there's a lot mm-hmm. of tensions with this. And, and frankly, con- honest conversations and facts and evidence and science are really important. Let's not just make judgmental conclusions that this is good or this is bad. You know, some places we shouldn't build a solar plant. Some places we shouldn't build, shouldn't, shouldn't put up a wind turbine because they're affecting bats or birds. Uh, we've got to respect nature. So let's have honest conversations. I think sometimes the, the polarization we have in energy mirrors the polarization that we have in politics, where people are assuming just because you happen to be a Republican, you're not in favor of renewable energy. Well, I think that's wrong. I know some fantastic people who have to be on the conservative right who understand that conservation of energy is entirely a conservative ethic. Mm-hmm. And so indigenous communities are saying, let's go down this path. But hey, are we all the way there and yet in Canada? Don't don't get me wrong. There's lots of lots of battles yet ahead. Well, and I think the Pope and I, I don't follow closely enough, but I think the Pope has said it's our responsibility. Well, I mean, yeah, because I mean, I mean, I mean, this was the encyclical on climate change that he wrote about mm-hmm. two or three years ago, which is actually a remarkably well written and a beautiful read. I'd encourage people to look at it; you can get it online. Uh, and he just said, "Look, if we're gonna if we're gonna live in harmony in nature, we have to because we are part of nature. We are we are we're not taking care of nature. Nature has to take care of us. But if if we've destroyed nature, it can't take care of us." And so, therefore, the destruction of species and things like this, which is very important to indigenous communities, they live on the land. They want to. They want to eat fish. They want to. They want to. They want to hunt moose. Uh, they want to have traditional foods. And so, they also see that if we do the right kinds of energy, you're also protecting nature. Uh, and, and with that, and that's effectively what the Pope said. Nature and their entire belief system, right? Yes. The harmony of how I live within my community. Hey, Maureen, it's all our belief system. If you happen to be an atheist or agnostic, or you happen mm-hmm. to be a celebrant of a various faith, mm-hmm. if you happen to be Muslim, if you happen to be Christian, if you happen to to, to be someone who doesn't follow mm-hmm. uh, follow a, a, a God, it doesn't matter. We, the, the reality is that uh, doing things respectfully and taking care of nature mm-hmm. is what we want, but we sometimes lost that way. It, and indigenous communities have not lost their way. They are part of the land, and they're saying, hey, let's remember that. We're trying to go down this path, so why doesn't someone who, you do, we do believe this, no matter mm-hmm. what your faith system, if you have a faith, but or your own personal belief system, you know this is right. And I agree. I'm just thinking, I live in a city. I walk outside every day, and I do my five to ten miles a day whenever I'm in town. So I'm outside mm-hmm. and get rejuvenated by being in a wooden environment. It is core to who I am and what I do. And I walk in the house and turn on the light switch, and I don't think as much about it as I should, even though I fundamentally value that connection to nature. It's easy to lose sight of the impact I could have adversely on the thing that keeps me alive. Well, you know... You understand that, and you know, walking the talk is key, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you're, done, you're doing your walks, and I share your, your, your enjoyment of walks outdoors in nature. It's one of the things I love. Um, but indigenous communities will say that in order to understand that better, 
come and spend time in our communities and see what we're about. And in the case of what we, what I do and what our organization does is Indigenous Clean Energy, is see how we're using energy more wisely and generating mm-hmm. it more wisely. Yeah, we got to get more connected. You know what? Some of the most beautiful places in the world are Indigenous communities in Canada. And I have the, the luckiest job in the world that when I go and see their lands and help them do a, a wind or solar project, but I'm also spending time with them. And uh, that makes a connection. I think we all can use it. We're, we're really preoccupied our day-to-day lives. We're in 24-7. we got way too much mm-hmm. digital stuff we're dealing with and, and uh, demands. But the Indigenous community is saying, you know, sometimes say, slow down. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not only let's enjoy the walk, let's walk the talk. I've actually spent time with, in the Navajo community in Arizona. So I, I do have an incredibly deep respect for the way of life that comes from indigenous values and lifestyle. Yeah. That connection is just beautiful. You know, the Abiknazi people in, in, in Arizona and in Nevada, um, they're among the largest producers of solar energy in the United States. There's some huge operations on lands that weren't being used for many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've used that as a way to, frankly, you know, people in the United States or Canada, I mean, you know, we know our cities and sometimes you see a sign for, you know, a tribe or, or a First Nation. And you kind of go, well, I'm not sure what that's about. But you kind of say, well, Jesus, houses may not look very good. Or, boy, is it, you know, in some ways there are third world conditions in the middle of our, our abundant affluent economies. Hey, we know that. Uh, but, you know, really, the, I mean, the indigenous communities in the United States and places like Nevada or here in Canada, in the north and in the south of Canada, if we can be make part of a cleaner energy future that's also socially regenerative, that's created jobs and employment and, uh, and income that helps them build better homes and create local economies, then um, I think you'll see that. And, and I know that's happening in Nevada. It's really exciting to see and hear from you that it's happening not only in Nevada, but all over the Americas, and hopefully around the world. Uh, it, 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 and it's happened fast. I mean, you know, I mean, you look at a country like India. I mean, they're putting up a, a solar plant the size of a football field about every four hours. Every, really? Every four hours. And they reliant, heavily reliant on coal. We want to deal with climate change, we can't be reliant on coal. And so local communities, local owners, local businesses, villages in India, they're putting these up at that rate every four hours. And they're doing it because it makes economic sense. It's cheaper um, and it works. Uh, so, so I think what, what I'd urge you know, your listeners to look at is to think about, hey, let's l- listen to this, this program, go on the web, Ask a few questions. See, I mean, I mean, I mean, indigenouscleanenergy.com. Um, in fact, there'll be a TV series that people can stream to mm. called Power to the People pretty soon. 13, 13 part series, half an hour each, about indigenous clean energy in Canada. So keep that phrase in mind, Power to the People, and you, you'll be able to find it. And I love the term, Power to the People. You and me, we're people. Indigenous communities are people. Um, we're not governments, we're not mm. corporations, we're people. And so whether you happen to live in the city or you happen to be an indigenous person in their community, uh, let's get power from the change process we want to create. It's just so inspirational to hear that we have these options and they are addressing significant social and environmental issues at the same time. Yeah. So bringing equity to the indigenous populations that don't involve gambling casinos or other industries that seem like this is promoting health. 
Yeah. You know, and, and, being, and, and the other part too is, and, and we do that by being connective. You know, I mean, uh, I mean, our interactive platform is icenet.work, and I say to people, don't go to icenet because that gets you to a figure skating site, which is kind of <laughs> weird. But if you go to icenet.work, anyone can, and can participate. It's no cost. Every month mm-hmm. there's a collaborative lab, a webinar, or a podcast that people can plug into because this is a collaborative process. This is not just about indigenous communities and companies and governments and people live in cities and people live in towns and rural areas. It's all of that. Mm-hmm. And, and so connect, being connecting is, gives you an opportunity to say, well, how can I play in that? If I'm a student, how can I learn more? If, I'm, if, if, I, if I happen to be a homeowner and I'm staying at home, what do I learn about my own home and how, how do I can you know, live in this home in a more environmentally friendly manner that reduces my cost data? day. Mm-hmm. If I want to be an investor, I got pension funds, I got a few bucks to invest, where do I put it? You got choices. Uh, or if you happen to be a young person or a mid-career person looking at a next stage in your career, where is the clean energy employment? Clean energy, and particularly solar power, is one of the biggest employment generators in the United States in the last 10 years. There are more people employed in solar power than there is in all the coal plants in the United States, by quite a margin, by the way. When people talk in Appalachia and they go, well, you know, you know, we got to keep our coal plants going, and I'm sympathetic to that because that's what they've done for decades, for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, uh, they can also transition to be an installer uh, for, for, solar, for solar plants and solar arrays, or they can help run a wind energy plant. Uh, let's make those transitions that are different jobs, but they're still jobs. Um, so to my mind is that this is connective. This is not we and them. It's not us and, and them. It's about how this benefits everyone, and, and you can be connected. Well, and it sounds like you can also take a key role in driving your own experience, mm-hmm. not being subjected to whoever them is. Yeah. You know, we, we all have those incredible devices, our digital phones, right, mm-hmm. our smartphones, that, that we, when we lose, as I did a few days ago with mine, I was, felt I was completely lost. I'm going, what the heck am I going to do? But, you know, that phone is an incredibly powerful computer. That phone can Mm -hmm. control you. You can leave your house and say, gee, you know, I left the air conditioning on. I'm going to be away for a short business trip for two or three days. You can set it down and save a few bucks. Uh, Which I'm doing here at this conference, by the way. You know, know, (laughs) but that, that, so that, I wouldn't, wouldn't underestimate what the power of that digital phone, that digital technology allows us to do. It gives us the sense to power with energy. And so therefore, to me, it's illustrative or a metaphor uh, for the fact that we control our lives with our phones. We can control our energy use with digital technologies, like those electronic thermostats in, uh, in your home, uh, and also then you know, more advanced technologies. Boy, you know, the car is going to be the big change. Indigenous communities drive a lot because they have to go from far away from rural regions in. But now, frankly, uh, you know, an electrical vehicle is, is, a, is a game changer. Uh, and uh, you save money with it. And now electric trucks are coming and I mean Perlator and Amazon have made commitments to make all their delivery vans uh, electric vehicles shortly uh, and that needs power and so that can be indigenous power in Canada, the United States or elsewhere to make sure you're fueling those cars and trucks that Perlator or Amazon is driving because they're going to be bringing you something you ordered for Christmas or on Black <laughs> Friday, right? You know, that kind of stuff. Well, th- that's how it's connected. We're not separate mm-hmm. and, and so to assume that your powerlessness to me, this is the, the power of change of clean energy. Indigenous communities say, we don't have power. Local people say, we don't have power. 
my kids may say they don't have power. Mm -hmm. Your kids may have less power. Uh, yeah, Depending yeah. Depending well, on how old. Well, I think they have way more power than me. But I believe that one is not. Uh, at least in our household. But but in, in but to me, energy is a change for the power of how we live as people. If we say we can actually have power, where we can make decisions about and decisions are key you know when you make your own decision you're feeling good so when an indigenous community says you know i'm going to put up a solar a system that's going to power a community or i'm going to put up solar panels in my home or i'm going to make it more energy efficient it gives them power that power is the fuel of change and that power also makes the change of fuel a cleaner fuel for the future and that holds for all of us but but i think to me it's a togetherness in this this is not us and them it's a togetherness and um you know, if you happen to be an, a retired person, you got a few bucks, and you're saying, "Well, you know, what can I invest in? I'm just going to invest in, you know, exchange-traded funds and ETFs and put them there." Or maybe you Google and say, "You know, is there a really good solar power company I can make some bucks with?" They haven't done too badly in the last little while in terms of returning investment. So we're coming to the end in a few minutes. Is it just about renewable energy, or what else is on the horizon? Again, we're seeing change so quickly. And what I hear you saying is, it, it is about the energy, it is about the indigenous communities, and it is also about all of us within and beyond the indigenous communities who are invited to look to what's happening here and integrate that into our experience and make those changes. Uh, yeah, but th there's more there. I, w I, would, I would put the first point on energy efficiency in homes and businesses and our institutions like hospitals and schools. We can be way more energy uh, frugal and okay. uh, that's number one. Renewable energy is number two, but then renewable energy is not just then for electricity. The next change is about using renewable energy for heat and power. So that because heat and power is going to be the biggie and the real biggie is going to be in transport. And so therefore, these are all connected. So when you say indigenous clean energy, or which is what I do, or energy done by a municipality or home, or even by a corporation or a utility, mm -hmm. uh, it's gonna be there. But first, let's not use it, let's not waste it. Uh, let's, mm -hmm. let's, let's just not do it in the first place, need it in the first place. Secondly, renewable energy for electricity, but then renewable energy for electricity for the electrification economy of today and the future, which means electricity for heat and power as well, heat and cooling as well. Mm -hmm. The biggest use of electricity in the U.S. is for cooling, apart from mm -hmm. transport. If we can make sure that's coming from renewable energy plants that are owned by uh, your local utility or your local cooperative or the adjacent uh, indigenous community, then to me that's a win. And then if we can power our cars and our trucks uh, with clean energy, then, then you've built the circle that to me has, has abundance and richness in that. And along the way, you know, we've also made nature cleaner. And we're leaving a legacy of an environment that our kids can live in. Uh, and they're going to hold us accountable for that, you know. It uh, sounds like your kids are going to hold you accountable for that. Darn right, darn right. As each of them should. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, so, um, and boy, when they get turned on to that, you know, my, my youngest son, Noah, he's in business and environment and university these days, and uh, he's pretty confident he wants to go in the clean energy field because, uh, you know, he's a quiet guy. He's, he may not be out there, you know, but he knows what he wants to change. And is there any better thing if you happen to be a First Nation or a tribe, a tribal person, or just an average person sitting in a city like I am, and say, hey, my son and daughter are doing things differently and changing the world, and, uh, and they're doing it with clean energy, and I'm a part of that because I'm buying it, supporting it, needing it. Hey, that's, that's the way to go, eh? It sounds like you're an incredibly fortunate man, and you have modeled 
all of this and your kids watched and learned? Um, maybe I, I hope I've listened to my kids. I know I certainly listened to my parents. And, um, and um, it, it does make you humble, but boy, it's a, it's a lot of joy in that. Fabulous. Thank you. My pleasure. So as we wrap up, can you give our listeners where they would learn sure. more? Yeah. You gave us the website before, but tell us a little bit more. Yeah. If you go to uh, indigenouscleanenergy.com, you can get a lot of resources and there's a lot of videos that people can see, you know, five, seven minute snippets of stories. Mm-hmm. You can go to YouTube and find it too. Um, and then you can, if you want to connect, if you want to be a part of it, it's a global platform. So you can go to ICENET, so I-C-E-NET, one word. Dot, dot com gets you to a platform you can join or you can just look and see what's going on and uh, that's for anyone you have to be a student you can have to be a homeowner or a business person in a utility indigenous person everyone's welcome thank you so much chris this has just been a pleasure to meet you and for our listeners i really do encourage you we live in a world where on occasion we feel like we have less choice and chris has given some beautiful examples of where each of us can take charge of what we do in the world and how we conserve, how we invest, how we spend, how we select our next car to leave a legacy beginning now of attending to our climate and the impact we are making as we are part of nature, not to nature. We're making it to ourselves. We're making the impact on one another. And we do leave this legacy of a harmonious world or a world that's been disrupted by us. That's a home run wrap-up statement, Maureen. No, No more need be said. Great. Thank you so much, Chris. It's been quite a pleasure. Thank you for listening today, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation that Maureen had with one of our ILA thought leaders. And we look forward to having you join us throughout this 15 podcast series on leadership during these turbulent times. Thank you for joining us at the International Leadership Association Conference Interview Series, recorded live in Ottawa, Canada. We love to hear your feedback. And part of the feedback that really inspires us is letting us know how these interviews have impacted you personally and your organization. Please reach out to me at info at innovateleader.com or on LinkedIn, connect with me as Maureen Metcalf. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.